Hello and welcome to episode four of the Only Foals and Racehorses podcast. I'm Rhea from Adventures in Black and White and in this episode we're going to discuss the rest of my time at Huey Morrison's for that first tiny little period that I was there after racing school and then my little random jaunt to Ireland. So buckle up and let's get on with it. I have to say that that um, first summer at Hugh Morrison's, I learned so much about horse racing that I couldn't possibly have learned anywhere else. He was such a good man in in letting us have a go at anything and everything. So in the couple of weeks that I was there, I got a chance to try my first ever canter up the grass for that I was given Fletcher which by that stage I'd obviously got a grip on and it was really really good and really exciting because we used another grass gallops over the other side and you go down and then I'd seen people go up the grass and I really really wanted to give it a go so I think I must have been about three weeks in when I was given the chance and I was leading two-year-olds so I was told that we've got to go really slow um, they did say, don't worry too much if, if he takes off, because at least it will give them a bit of a lead, but to try and not give them too much of a, a gap. And he was absolutely fine, which just showed how much I'd got a grip on Fletcher by then. And then after I'd shown that I could ride at the grass without falling off in fear, um, I then got to ride my first piece of work. So I can't actually remember which horse I rode for that it wasn't Fletcher anyway but I know that uh, Roy came up with me and told me exactly what he wanted me to do and where I've got to be and while we were doing it he was telling me whether I was doing the right thing because riding work is quite different to riding the normal day-to-day routine of what the horses do because it's when you're really testing them and um so you're the trainer will give you various things that he wants to do so he might want to see the horse come from behind and go through a gap he might want you to be the one up the front and let everyone come up to meet you and then go on and it's really really important to get right and and not many people would get the opportunity to do that within their first weeks in racing so I was really really lucky as time went on over the couple of weeks, obviously proved my worth. And Saturday mornings was when um, the owners used to come. And I'll never forget my first piece of work in front of owners. I was on a horse. I'm pretty sure I looked it up because I couldn't quite remember. But I'm pretty sure I was on a horse called Petrolina. And I remember her because she was really, really slow. I used to call her Diesel because she just she just she she go all day but she was really slow but it wasn't her owners that were there it was the owners of another horse called Elamite and they wanted Huey wanted to make Elamite look really good so um, he knew that my horse would go with Elamite so far and then she'd just give it up so he was like don't worry he's like just make it look like you're trying <laughs> and uh, we'd gone up the fiber sun that day Matt was riding Elamite I remember that because he used to ride her all the time because it's his horse and uh, yeah so we set off and I think I was in front to start off with and she was cruising going really really well and then we got sort of three furlongs up and then she just went can't be bothered with this and then Elamite just cruised past and we got to the top and, and Matt was like oh yeah well done well done that was really good and uh, we walked back down and the owner's um walked across to see Matt and Elamite and they were like oh she went so well she went so well and I was just thinking well 
yeah, she did go well, but like she was with a dog <laughs> in the nicest frame, like of my. But um, yeah, and that's just it was just interesting to sort of see how you know. Obviously, he wanted to show the owners that she was doing all right and wanted to make sure that she put on a good show. So that was fine. That's fair enough. And I was just glad of the opportunity to be able to go really fast. So um, that was that. And of course, aside from riding work and normal day to day goings on the yard, going racing was the next big thing. So I wasn't going to be there long enough for Huey to get me a racing pass. But he'd said if I came back after I'd gone to Ireland that he would. But he was quite keen for me to get some experience going racing, which was really nice because he didn't have to do that. I will never forget my first leads up. A bit like riding your first piece of work. We went all the way down to Newton Abbott, which was a really long way from, from Newbury. And it was summer jumping and the horse I was leading which is why I'll never forget it, was called Pessimistic Dick. Yeah, you heard right. Look him up on Racing Post. It was a lovely, lovely horse. Um, he was quite funny, actually, because at home he lived out. So here he had, obviously, the cages that he turned all his two-year-olds out in, which was really nice to see. But he, some of the older horses got to go out in the fields and some of them just lived out. Fletch lived out for quite a bit at times, but Dick just hated being in a stable. So he used to live out and he used to run his races off grass. We just used to go and get him in, tack him up or do whatever. And, and that was that. He just hated being in. So it was really good that he got got the chance, you know, to, to live how he wanted. And it obviously kept him sweet because he did all right. So there I was, first lead up, riding a horse with a stupid name. <laughs> So because I didn't have a racing pass, I couldn't go in the stables. So um, Andy had to get him ready and brought him out. And then I just led him around the parade ring and everyone was all laughing at me and pointing at me. And Dick just literally pulled my arms out. And at that point, I realised that, yeah, going racing wasn't all that. Because if you have one like him, he just literally just tanked me around until it's time for the jockey to get on. But I was just so glad to be there and, and see it. And, and he didn't come anywhere, but that was fine because I was just so pleased to be there. But what was a little bit sad and did put a bit of a downer on a day was um, one of the other horses in his race. He didn't, for whatever reason, recover. He, he'd obviously finished his race, but he's, he just they couldn't, they couldn't get his heart rate down, his breathing down or anything. I'm not quite sure at the time because he wasn't our horse. So you don't really want to ask when there's too much going on like that. But they ended up putting him down in front of our lorry, which just, it, it did put a taint on the day. But it was kind of, you know, that is that is part of racing, you know, at least for, I think for those horses that do go on the race course, they probably get the best of it because they don't suffer for long at all. And, Whatever was happening with his horse, he, they just, they'd obviously tried everything they could, but he was just not, he was getting worse and worse. So it was the right thing for him. And, you know, there is that side to racing. You know, we do lose them. But, you know, going racing is a really important part of it. And, like, apart from, obviously, the awful thing that happened to someone else's horse that day, taking Dick, I was really proud to be there with him. Yeah, so I was really glad that Huey actually, for all it, you know, it was hard to get me in there, but it was good. And then uh, towards the end of my time, just before I went off to Ireland, actually, Huey said to me, did I want to go and do an overnight? 
of course I jumped at the chance to go overnight racing because that was really exciting um so Alan who looked after Fletcher also looked after another horse called Salem Toto and Fletcher was running I think up at Newcastle somewhere like that somewhere up north that was an overnight for him and Salem Toto was running in a big race at York at the York Ebor meeting so Al was going to go with Fletch up to wherever he was going and then I was to take Salem Toto up to York on transport so that I could meet Alan on his way back with Fletch and Andy and then Al would obviously lead up Salem Toto for her big run at, at York um, which is really really nice because they didn't have to send me for that but it was just nice that he did so I was all excited that morning and, and Al had made sure I got everything that I needed for her and I, I put the I put her on the lorry we went on NRT if I remember rightly yeah it was NRT and we were sharing with a, a lad from Henry Candy and his horse so I got on the box and I'd never shared with another trainer before so I was like oh this is all a bit exciting and I said oh what's she called referring to his horse that got on and he goes oh no that's not she that's Kailaki and I just looked at him like yeah don't know who that is yeah, Kailaki went on and won the e-ball that year. So it was a pretty big deal that that horse was on that box. And our little filly, she did all right, but she wasn't she wasn't him. And obviously he then went on to be a stallion, um, one of the best sons of Pivotal. Oops, quick fact check here. He won the Nunthorpe, not the e-ball, but either way, it's still a very good race. But yeah, so going over... Uh, going overnight racing in York was really really exciting it's such a beautiful place I had no idea you know what what it was going to be like Huey had written us a letter um, because again I didn't have a racing pass and um, spoken to the stewards at York and they very kindly allowed me to stay so uh, that was my first experience of um, hostel accommodation <laughs> as it were I like to think that things might have changed in racing I don't know if they have. Maybe someone could uh, enlighten me to this. But um, back in those days, they you had to share. And you weren't necessarily sharing with people from your own yard, um, especially because they could be male and female. Um, so you're in a female dorm. And I think in that room there was four beds. But there was three of us in there. One of the other three girls was that Italian girl from Kamani's. So that was a little bit interesting and it got even more interesting because um, so we travelled up the day before and our horse was racing the next day. So Al had come down with Andy and we went out into town to the pub and then I met someone else who I quite liked. This is back in the days of like prehistoric mobile phones with very, very loud just beeps, no, no internet on phones then. And um, I certainly hadn't got any clue of like how to put it on silent. And I think because we just never needed to because no one ever called me on it. <laughs> but no, this lad obviously tried to call me a bit later and I could just hear the Italian girl like getting grumpy and grumpier because obviously this you know stupid young girl that was in there, her phone kept going off all the time and that was me. So I knew at some point I was probably going to get my head kicked in. So I removed myself from the bedroom <laughs> at that point um, because it was easier to be outside than to stay in there with her. And um, I did go back later, crept in, 
the next morning because I didn't have a racing path so I couldn't go on the yard which was quite nice for me in some ways because I couldn't it meant I couldn't do the horses so then what they did was they brought them out and I walked them around we didn't get up that early but the Kamani girls had already got up and gone by the time I got up so um, it was a scary night but uh, I survived and um, it was one of those things so uh, no, I never ever went on another overnight where I had to share again, which was quite a relief. And, um, you know, it's one of those things, they really shouldn't do that. You know, you're all adults. You don't know who's sharing room with you, what their story is, where they've been. You know, are they going to nick your stuff? Like, I know you don't want to think the worst of people, but it it just happened. You know, you, you get, your gear gets nicked, let alone your personal stuff. So, um, yeah, I'd like to think that, Racing's moved on since then. So in my first couple of um, weeks in racing, I have to say they're probably the best ever weeks I ever had. And um, what was really nice was at the end of my time, my first time with Huey, he, I'd said to him that um, I was going away to Ireland for a month. And when I came back, I um, I would, I was going back to university and was there an opportunity for a job? Um, just a part-time job I said I'd want to ride out a couple of mornings a week and um, go racing if I could if he not wanted me to and then because when when I went to university you had like a month off at Christmas a month off of Easter and then three months off during the summer and I didn't really want to go home because I had my horse in town so it was easier just to sort of live in Oxford the whole time and he absolutely jumped at the idea he said no he said that's fine you can you can come and work for me and and during your holidays from uni you can come work for me full time and for him for all of us it was a win-win situation so it was really nice you know going off to Ireland thinking when I went back for my second term at university that I had a job that was going to pay me really really well which at that point was really important because when you've got a dressage horse to run it, it's not cheap. Randomly, in the middle of all of this, um, before I got on the racing school course, I'd organised with my old Ryan school owner slash dealer's yard that I would go and stay with her sister over in Ireland for the summer. We cut that down once I knew I'd gotten to the racing school course, but I still wanted to go and we'd, we'd book transport for the horse to go. So the what we did was we sent Murphy out early he went while I was at racing school, so we didn't have to pay someone to look after him over here. Uh, he went on transport off to Ireland on his own, and then I went and joined him when I finished at Hewitt's. So there I was again, in my usual little scenario, although this time I flew to Ireland, and that was quite entertaining, because I had been on an aeroplane before, but I'd never been on Ryanair, and I'd never been on a plane on my own. I was 19, which was old enough. And uh, we flew from Birmingham Airport to Dublin on Ryanair. And that was back in the day. And Ryanair had these little propeller planes, which was like there was two seats each side of the aisle. Like they weren't even the big ones. And uh, that was quite scary because you walked across the tarmac and walked up these steps. And it was basically, yeah, this did not look safe. But anyway, got to Dublin and then I had to find my way to Tipperary. Um, so Kay's sister uh, had moved to Ireland a couple of years before and she's a dressage rider, trains a lot of the Irish event team at that time anyway and did a lot of dealing. So the idea was I'd go and stay with her and just get some training for dressage and um, just have a good summer really, enjoying somewhere different and learning, which yeah, 
this thing I've always done. And I basically was working for free. So in return for my lessons and food and that, I was working, which after having been paid for a couple of weeks before that, then was a bit like, oh, but that's the difference between working for, you know, a dressage yard, say, getting work experience or working on a racing yard. So I got off the plane and then I had to find my way to the train station and then I had to get on the train, got off in Tipperary and went to Sue's place, which was just outside a place called Feathered. And at the time, I didn't realise how important that would be to me because Feathered, as anyone who works in the um, racing industry will know, is the home of the mighty Coolmore. So think Sadler's Wells, Galileo. That's where they all are. And um, I was working in a little farm just right next door to them, which was mad, really, and ironic, given later on that I would then work for that that company. But life's full of lots of coincidences like that. So I had a good little summer. It was definitely a bit of a culture shock working in Ireland. Um, It was quite different to here. But um, we had lots of good fun. I won't go into that because it's not really about racing. But... One of the really funny little things I noticed was round near the start, all the roads were immaculate. And um, someone said um, to me, oh, yeah, that's because Coolmore and they're in with the government and this, that and the other. And I kind of didn't really think about it too much. But um, when it came to go home, I organised transport with an Irish transporter to get home. And and he said, oh, you can come on the lorry, which was what I wanted. So I travelled back on my horse. And uh, he was telling me all about how they'd got the tax breaks for the stallions. So that's why the best stallions tend to stand in in Ireland, because they have massive, well, at the time, I think they still do, uh, massive tax breaks. So it it was a bit like, you know, it was a good way to make some money. Whereas in England, we have to put VAT on stallion fees and things like that. So, yeah, they, uh, they certainly had it sewn up and hence why the roads around there were all immaculate. Um. Uh, coming back from Ireland was um, definitely entertaining. So as I've since discovered now my current job working as moving horses, the way these smaller operators work is when they're filling up a lorry to come back, they go everywhere picking horses up. I think we were the first ones on. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it was like two, three horses on and it was a massive horse box. It, it took 13, 14 horses, single stalls, with water I'd never seen a lorry so big in my life we've got CCTV even back then we're talking 20 years ago so it was, it was pretty smart but we went all the way around so we went from Tip to Waterford and all the way around and then up to Dublin and when we got to Dublin the guy goes to me get in the back get in the back and I was like oh, what do you mean he's like get get in the back and like behind where the driver's seat are is where they sleep and he's like get into the duvet got into the duvet and he's like be quiet and so we stopped at the port and obviously he told them how many horses he got on and then they said oh it's just you driver yeah yeah, yeah, just me and I was like oh okay (laughs) basically smuggling me back into England and uh, got through the other side he's like you can come out now he said I just thought I'd get you on for free I was like well how does that work and he said well they're not checking you yeah he just got on for free. So like, okay. He said, if you want a cab, it's eight euro. Otherwise, he said, you can just stay in the hospitality bit. Um, he took me down and got free food. 
And then he went to his cab and I didn't have any money left. So I basically sat for the whole crossing, which was horrific. But yeah, it was all for free. And I did worry for a bit because obviously I got on a plane when I left to go to Ireland. So my passport checked out. But according to the records, I never checked back in. So, uh, But that never came to bite me on the bum. So that was okay. So yeah, we got to Holyhead. There was a big fire for some reason and the sea was really choppy and we had to stay outside for ages. And it was just, yeah, I just felt so seasick. It was unreal. And then got off the ferry, then drove around so many show jumpers yards on the way back. It was unreal. And finally got to Murphy's yard in Whitney and loaded him. First thing he did was have a massive pee. And we couldn't get the lorry down the drive, so he had to walk down the drive, which was a mile. Um, and it was funny, actually, on that lorry, so there's a lot of horses on there that they'd never travelled before. They'd been bought by English people, and they'd, they'd just seen, as they'd say in Ireland, they'd seen nothing but himself. <laughs> so, sorry for my rubbish Irish accent to all my little Irish friends. They know that I can't do that. But these horses were basically, you know, mostly unbroken horses, and they're all there. They all travelled really well, and Murphy was the only one with boots and bandages on and and his rug <laughs> he definitely didn't need any of that because he was quite hot and yeah and that was it that was our little Irish adventure over for this time anyway um I went back to Ireland again um but we'll talk about that in a later episode so that was my first year wow I fitted so much in well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. There's just so much I remember. Sometimes I go off on a tangent, so you have to forgive me. Coming up in episode five is when I start on my year out in industry. So part of my uh, university degree, we did year one and two in uni. And then they made you go out on a year in industry, which is the best thing ever because, you know, you actually came out of university with a degree and with some proper experience. So in the next episode, I'll talk about how I selected where I was going and what I ended up doing. So don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out. And also, if you go onto my website and click on the subscribe to the newsletter button at the bottom, then you'll always get a reminder off there. Thank you so much for listening and please share this and um, look forward to seeing you next week. Bye bye.